I never dreamed I could be so happy. Never dreamed I'd have a wife and a partner like Brooke, and I never dreamed I'd be in a space filled with the beauty and the laughter and the joy and the serenity. Welcome, everybody, to Ideas of Order from California Closets, a podcast that's dedicated to answering the question, what does home mean to you? I'm Jeremiah Brent, and today's guest is someone that's really hard for me to entirely encapsulate. An integral part of culture and nearly every creative avenue. He's a painter, a writer, an interviewer, a style icon. He's one of my best friends. He's a writer for Airmail and New York Times bestselling author, and he's one of the most elegant people in New York, at least in my opinion. He is someone that I have worked on his own home with my husband and his wife. He is one of the first people that I ever met that really showed me that you could dream big here and you could carve out a piece of it for yourself. By all intents and purposes, he had a very small life in a Chicago suburb and has become such a huge part of a huge city. And it's really interesting to watch and to walk around the West Village. He is such an integral part of the city. You know, his pictures up in Cafe Clooney, everybody knows him at a newsstand. His reputation is kindness and empathy. He is a friend that has turned into family, Michael Haney. One of the things that I'd love to do before we talk about home now and what home represents to you um, is to kind of go backwards uh-huh. um, and hear from you uh, just a little bit about your childhood. Uh, and we've actually never really... Am I paying you for this? <laughs> yeah. We'll are, are, see. Are, are, you going to tell me when our time is up? <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. Are you right. comfortable on the sofa? Uh, no, you never do the sofa. I sit on the sofa, but I never lay down. Yeah, I know. I've never... It was never a layer. A little too, little too like... I was uh, like going to get bed bugs. I just... Who uh, <laughs> put their head on this pillow? Somebody no, just... You soaked with somebody else's exactly. tears. Exactly. Um, what was your home like as a child growing up? It was small and um, but uh, and and very, you know, my father died when I was very young, just after I turned six, and it was my mother, my brother, and me, the three of us. So it was, um, you know, uh, it didn't feel small at the time, but it was very small. We And, and uh, my mother kept a very clean organized house and uh so it was it was a safe place to be what did it smell like what were the colors like you know what was aesthetically what did it feel like? well this was the 70s and <laughs> she redid the, the house shortly after my father died and the kitchen became avocado and burnt gold she had carpet i think i remember in her bedroom and and uh you know there was burnt brown carpeting throughout the house wall to wall um she got these secondhand shutters that were on the kitchen windows and the bedroom windows so there was always shutters that were opening and closing so but it was um you know on the east coast they call it a row house back then it was a townhouse next to this parking lot of a grocery store right near the expressways did you have a favorite spot in the house my brother and i seem to live in the basement um and you know, I, by that it was, you know, I, I was like, this is the family room. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was, it was just the basement, you know, it was half the basement was the laundry room that was unfinished. The other half was quote unquote finished because it had plywood uh, or, um, paneling plywood, you know, that, you know, paneling around it and then some linoleum on the half floor. And, uh, and then she got these secondhand couch from a neighbor. And secondhand rug that she got from another neighbor, and uh, and then the TV was down there. So that was, you know, 
where my brother and I seem to either be watching TV or fighting uh, and punching each other, uh, <laughs> usually because I was provoking. And uh, he'd say, if you don't stop saying that, I'm just going to get off the couch and punch you. And I would just keep calling him names and he'd come over and start punching me. I'd, Mom! And she comes down and like, he's punching me. So it was... Yeah, grounded. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you live there your whole childhood? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it lived there. It was the only house I ever lived in. Wow. Um, Does she still own it? She owned it for years. And when, when then she, when she married her second husband, which is after I graduated college, my grandparents moved into it. And so then it was in, so it was in my life until I was in my well, late thirties, maybe. So it was always there for, for a long time. Were you sad when that was, when she sold it? Yeah. I was because you think, you know, like you're always going to have that place. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny where, you know, she still lives in the town. I go back and I go to that grocery store and like I look across the way and I see the house and I've walked over and stood outside it and wanted to go in. But it's, you know, it's, 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 it looks so small now from the outside. So it's still there. But, um, yeah, it's the only place I ever lived in, only bedroom I ever had. It's such a gift. Yeah, I know it's so rare these days, right? It's so rare. Yeah. I mean, we, I would have killed for that. I don't know. Um, My family sucks. <laughs> <laughs> when you look back at kind of your childhood, <laughs> yes, my, doctor. Mom, my mom's yes. going to love this. Part. Yeah. But when you look back at your childhood and you look at like your home and where you grew up, do, is, was, was there any particular space? And it doesn't necessarily have to be in your house, but was there ever a space that you really look back on that really held you? Um, and just for uh, reference, you know, when I went, went through this whole kind of dialogue with myself internally it was my grandmother's kitchen mm -hmm. and the ceremony that she would sit mm -hmm. in there and the coffee and everything but was there ever a space for you that really held you the first space that you felt kind of really connected to i mean there's I, just listening to what you're saying i would say there's almost like this quick slideshow just presented itself in my mind of just moments where i was like that and that and that you know and i think they were places that sparked this feeling that there's a wider world out there and yet that you know because having grown up in that house and being raised by a single mother and everything that she was sacrificing for us and to you know there wasn't much there and it was a warm place but then my grandmother's kitchen exactly like you say and i can see that and watching her you know she was a one to make pie and chicken and you know sitting there in, in that place and watching that world she was polish you know and then her my grandfather and he had this um work bench out in the garage where he worked and everything like and watching and him teaching me how to use tools and i think it's about that piece of the wider world and i was just thinking there were these after my father died there were these two neighbors who moved in just afterward and they were probably i mean they seemed old then but they were in their late 50s and they were empty nesters they had and they had moved from another part of Chicago, and they had kids who were probably roughly my mother's age, but they they became also like these surrogate grandparents, and they would they and we'd go over to they invite us over for dinner. And I remember, like their house was this crazy kind of place that just had a different kind of life to it. And you know, when you sort of like see a, a house that's from somewhere different, it was just two houses over the same kind of structure. But she was this old older woman who like. 
always had this little handheld fan and watching TV and yet they, and they were arguing and, and they were just, they would take us on trips. But I think, so those <laughs> kinds of places that just held, and they, they, they were, you know, showing you like a wider world. Mm-hmm. And I think, but yet a bigger life, a bigger life and a different and, and, and different ways to be in the world. Was there anything about that childhood home that you have thought about or wanted to kind of replicate in the way you live? Yeah, everything. Really? Yeah. If my father died, there was, you know, being raised by a single mother and with not a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and and yet we were, I know we had a lot, but like it just was, I felt like I never, you know, we had what we had. And I think I see now, you know, and maybe this is the transformation to the home I live in now. It's just like to take, to make the space my own. And um, I didn't do that for for a long time. I just sort of like cobbled things together. So I think, you know, meeting Brooke and working with you guys and shaping the spaces the way I wanted to. And after sort of a life or a good chunk of life, having the privilege of being in homes and spaces that you could see, I want this, I want that. And, and to have my eye educated and to see what, what I react to and to then build on that. And so the space that held me and that's is also the space that shaped me and I'm forever grateful for that. That's why I say, you know, it's not really what's in my house even now so much as the partner I have and the love that's there and, and, and that's what's invaluable. Everything is done with an intentionality to it, right? It's not necessarily about how fancy something is or the prestige around a decision or a piece of furniture is everything to do with the sentimentality behind it and the personalization of those things that they bring into their home. And I like, you know, I always think of people in words, which is really bizarre, but I, there's always like a word to me for everybody. And you're into, you have intention with everything you do. Um, but every decision you wanted to know the why you wanted to know the how you really wanted to understand. I mean, down to the hinges and the hardware that you guys decided, like nothing was rash. It had to be the right decision. You had to be aligned. There had to be a story behind everything. And I think it's really beautiful and it makes sense based off of what you described. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I guess, you know, th- th- thank you for saying that, you know, sometimes I think I overthink it and, or consider it too much, but I think. No, I'm the wrong person to tell you <laughs> that you're wrong because <laughs> um, guilty is charged. There wasn't m- money to spend on things. And so I even have, you know, do you see the world through abundance or not? I mean, but I was always like, well, we get to buy this once and like, let's make sure it's the right thing because I don't want to, um, you know, so I'd consider and think and, but also want to know the provenance and the history and like why and help help me learn about this and so i think it's considered i think you know that's what maybe has helped you know some people they just rush through it they want it they take it and then it's it's almost a a version of you know what's the old carpenter's thing you know um measure twice cut once you know but like i just think like i don't have that luxury of of wasting you know i don't want to waste that's a gift yeah all right, so you leave Chicago. Yes, sir. You moved to New York City. Yes. Describe for me your first apartment that you moved into in New York. Well, it wasn't an apartment; it was a boarding house. Naturally, um, it was a it was a boarding house r- run by Quakers. It's a brownstone on Fifteenth Street, and it, it next door there's a, there's a, a Quaker meeting house that dates back, I think, to the eighteen twenties or so. And for a long time, it's, it's, it was always a boarding house because it was made for 
you know, friends with a capital F, Quaker friends, coming into meeting who lived outside of the city who would then have to stay overnight and go back. And so I found this place. I had a bed, uh, which was on a little loft above a desk. There was a window and a small chair. And there was a closet, wasn't even like a nook, which is smaller than like a telephone booth. If you kids don't remember what a telephone booth is, there was a, you used to have to go to a booth to get your phone, but that's another conversation. So, and then uh, there was a bathroom down the hall that I shared with five other people on the floor nope. and had to line up for the shower in the morning. And I lived there, I think for maybe two or three years. How old were you? 24. Did you love it? Well, I remember, you know, you talk about the spaces that hold you. And I wrote about this for myself recently and thinking about my next book. And, I, and I, I was describing how that night, my first night there, and again, like I, my bed was on this platform and it was so close to the ceiling that I couldn't really ro- roll over on my side because my shoulder would scrape against the ceiling. So how I, tall are you? Six what? Six three. Yeah, same. And so I had to like climb the ladder and then sort of like slide in there. <laughs> and um, but I remember like laying on my back and the ceiling sort of like you know almost right up my nose, and my mind almost left my body because I could see myself on this bed in this little room in this boarding house, on this corner of Stuyvesant Square, in Manhattan, on this island, in America, on the planet. And I just thought to myself, you know, the distances we travel, and here I was, I made it, I I belonged. I had carved out this tiny little piece of it, you know, like I say, I was looking back on it recently, like, because I'm always fascinated by the distances people travel and, and if I want them to recognize that because it's, and then the, and then this, the distance they travel and then the space they move toward and, and go and go into and how that they shape that space and that space shapes them. Did you feel like a New Yorker the second you moved here? No. You know, I still feel like turnips are falling out of my ears half the time, but, and I, <laughs> and I still feel, you know, like, I don't feel like an outsider anymore. I'm always aware that, you know, and I think this is the beauty of New York is there's very few people here who are born and raised. And the, 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 the beauty of New York is everyone has come from somewhere else. So everyone yeah. remembers that moment. They remember the journey to that space that was their first space. So you always ask them, what was your first apartment like? And they can see it and it, it transports them back in time. So I, I don't, I didn't feel, I, I remember I was so, what? I don't understand this place. And, but I was working with people who, I remember recently saw my friend John Brody and, and I was saying to him, I said, that the first summer I was here and he was, he was going out to the Hamptons. And I was like, what's the Hamptons? <laughs> and he literally like, he, he held up his hand and he says, okay. And he splays his fingers in like, almost like Dr. Spock. He's like, okay, these two fingers, this is the North Fork. You don't want to go there. These two fingers, this is the South Fork. And then he sort of like pokes along like, you know, Southampton, no. The East Hampton, yes. You know, and he's like, and I was like, I couldn't understand it, but it was, you know, when you just, just, mm-hmm. and then, so you, it's, it's, as, it, as the city's always unfolding to you, even to this day, there's always, and if you're alive to it, the layers that, that reveal themselves almost like 
when you step into an old home, like the layers are always there and, and, and to, to find that history of it and the, the new is putting put on and the layers fall, fall away. Brooke always teases me because, you know, when we first started dating, I'd walk around the city with her. I'm like, come around the corner and say, oh my God, like there used to be, you know, this old place here and it's gone. And she, so it became this, character for like tell me another story old man Haney and yet <laughs> I would say you know last week there's there's a there's a there's a um for those people who live in New York City there's a, there's a magazine store called Casa Magazines it's on 12th Street in Hudson and I for for my second apartment was right across the street from there 300 West 12th Street and um I used to go to this place at least once a day. I worked in magazines. I love magazines. I'm going to go there. It's run by this guy. His name is Mohammed, and he's been there forever. And I haven't been there probably in three years, maybe probably since pre-COVID. And when Brooke and I were walking around last weekend, and she's like, oh, I want to get the new Vogue, so yeah, which had all the supermodels on it or whatever. So we walk in there, and I walk in, and I turn and look, and Mohammed's there. And I'm thinking, like, he's not going to remember heat. And he does this triple take, and he says, Michael, where have you been? And Brooke looks at me and she's like, you remember him? He says, of course I remember him. <laughs> and like, that's just... Oh, it's no New York. I, I, I almost started crying because that's why you live here. Is It's that E.B. White thing of like the neighborhood and the people remember you and that you can go three, four years and there's Mohammed and he remembers you and I remember him. And we just stood there and talked for a half an hour about... How the neighborhood's changed, what's, how his business has changed, but um, you know, that newsstand is a space that helped me. I have more like just fascinating memories. Like I was telling, we're telling Brooke of you know Saturday night coming home from a movie, ten thirty, or you'd come home from a bar. Like I got to get the New York Times for seven for, and you'd buy your weekend Sunday Times there, and you'd go home and pass out in bed or whatever, reading the paper and get them <laughs> next morning. And But it, I said, to, I said to Muhammad, how many, how many Sunday times do you sell now? He said, Sunday times? He said, 10. I said, 10? He said, do you remember I used to sell 500? I said, I know they were stacked up like sandbags, uh, you know, during the blitz outside, you know, his covering up the windows. And he said, no more. But that's, that's the layers of the city always evolving. That's funny. I always think of you and Brooke as a quintessential, especially in our neighborhood in the West Village. I mean, you're everywhere to me. Like, there's so many different memories that I have, at least from our story being here and getting to know you guys over the course of the last 10 plus years that, like, you're part of every, it's interesting. Yeah. Like you're, and you're, I mean, your picture is at Cafe Clooney and every weekend our kids, our daughter is like on a, <laughs> our daughter is on a campaign to get her picture up on there. I'm like, it doesn't work. Like she goes, well, Uncle Mikey's photo is up there. Why can't we have one? I'm like, it's, it's complicated. Hey listeners, it's Bobby and Andrew from Barriers to Entry. You do not want to miss our episode with Lisa Gralnick from IF Design. If you're a fan of Barriers to Entry, this episode should be at the top of your queue. Bobby, why do we love this episode so much? Well, Lisa was my favorite presenter at South by Southwest 2024, and she mm -hmm. took us behind the scenes of her 
apart at South by and it's going to go even deeper in our conversation with her. Yeah. Amazing conversation about innovation, about sustainability and about a European award that's about to take the US by storm. Make sure to subscribe or follow Barriers to Entry wherever you get podcasts to hear our episode with Lisa Grelneck and to be notified when new episodes drop. Ideas of Order is part of the Surround Podcast Network, where you can also hear shows like Design Tangents from the creators of Cool Hunting or Clever, hosted by Amy Devers. Head over to surroundpodcasts.com and listen now. Well, you've come a far, far way since that Quaker shared bathroom situation because now you have a beautiful home with your wife. Talk to me a little bit about life with Brooke in your home. I never dreamed I could be so happy. Mm -hmm. I never dreamed it. And, you know, never dreamed I'd have a wife and a partner like Brooke. And I never dreamed I'd be with Brooke in a space like that, filled with the beauty and the laughter and the joy and and the serenity. When, when I met Brooke and we got married and I I had never owned an apartment, never owned anything. Uh, and But I'd saved all this money and she's like, well, we, we need, because I was always a bachelor and just like, I always wanted to sit in my back of my head and want the ability to just like, because I, I mean, I might have to blow like the wind one day. I just need to be able to move when I want. Okay. Which podcast should we go into your bachelor years? Should we save that for another sure. episode? Um, <laughs> even though I lived in the, above, you know, my, my apartment like for 15 years, like, but yeah. I wanted like just, just mentally, you know, like, you know, just like me free like the wind, babe. Uh, <laughs> can't hold me down. Can't hold me down. I might have to pick up and <laughs> get out of here. And, you know, I am busy. Foreign Legion is where my next stop is going to be. Yeah. Um, so, but we went looking for apartments and we had spent, but we had this great realtor named Rob uh, Giles. Uh, and and uh, he was so patient, showed us all these places. Probably after a year, I'd seen every apartment in the village. And Nate was helping us at the time. You were helping us. And, and um, he got his listing and it was a one bedroom. Room, our Rob, our, our realtor at that point, was just saying, "Like you guys, just got to make an offer. You guys just got to get used to being rejected." And we're like, "Okay, we'll put an offer. We're not going to get this. This will be fine." And of course, boing, you know, <laughs> got it. The next day, he's like, "Great news! You got it." Like, what? <laughs> uh, blah, blah, blah. Of course, then we went. And in and, and New York, the rules are such that you can't. Once it's accepted, you can't. There's no cooling off period. You're in. So we go back and we look at it now that we have been accepted and we realize it's smaller than the current apartment we're living in. I was in a full flop sweat and all I wanted to do was get out. I said, I, I don't care. Let's walk away from the, the deposit. And Brooke, you know, every the rational smart one, she said, she went, she said, listen, here's the deal. Why do you do this? Like you have your, you have your, cause we were living together, but she, when we moved in together, I, she told me, why don't you keep your, apartment you've been using it as a writing studio and a painting studio be your studio you can keep it that and you know we'll have and and then we can move in together so i had that apartment then but she said why don't we just get rid of that get a writing your studio and we'll make this your writing and painting studio so and maybe after a year or two we can flip it because there's no flip tax there's a flip tax here and you can't get out of it so there working for about, I was like two years into it. And I'm there one Saturday working and writing and I hear, 
and I think it's a Chinese menu being slid under the door. And I turn and look, and there's a piece of paper, and it's a note from our neighbor next door. And she says, I noticed you're never here. Maybe you'd want to sell your apartment. And Brooke's like, oh, my God. I tell Brooke she's the master negotiator. She comes up with a formidable. Whoa, comes up with a play, <laughs> as we know. And the one says, mm, "It's a little too high for me. I can't do it." And then Brooke says, "She says to me, she says, you know, if she's looking to sell. They're going to get a bigger apartment. Maybe she'll want to sell hers, and then she can buy a bigger one." So Brooke says, "Would you want to sell your apartment?" She proposes, and like the one says, "Sure." So we then were able to take two apartments and combine them, and so we got, you know, it was that kind of. New York moment, but I would say there was a lot of work and and years of, of searching and, and waiting and then a little bit of luck to get there, to combine them into then the raw bones of a three-bedroom, right? So, A hundred percent. How do you think um, the renovation of that apartment impacted or changed your relationship with Brooke? It didn't impact us. I think we both... I think it played to our strengths, you know, that um, she is a, uh, you know, she loves to manage a budget and check things and, you know, I mean. Worst nightmare. And right. And just so she was, you know, as you know, we had a very tight budget and you guys were part of the, the, the so generous with what you uh, gave to us and, and allowed us to, to achieve with your generosity and and so it played to her strengths you know she knew but also not just you know not just talking about paper and pen but also we both had visions for what we wanted but they they dovetailed very quickly and very neatly and so in in terms of the vision of what kind of home we wanted to create and how it how we wanted to be but then i think also being able to articulate that to you and nate and have you as partners in, 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 even when we couldn't articulate it, you could bring us ideas for it. It was a really nice convergence of like all these different types of love swirling around, right? Obviously, you and Brooke have this amazing love and a love story, and it's fun and it's interesting and um, alive and layered. And then we had so much fun because we love you guys, and we would be late nights with. Um, take out and sketching on the back of a napkin sometimes or drawing on the back of a piece of paper and taping out things on the floor and measuring right. things and Nate and I arguing and calling each other failures as designers <laughs> and um, which we do and just out of love um, and just pushing each other. And I feel like, you know, it was a real collaboration because the stakes were high for us at least to try to craft a space that reflected your story and your love for each other and was enough to hold that story. And I think one of the things that you did that was so impactful for me, um, aside from watching you navigate each other was when you carved your chapters initials and things into the beams of that house. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? When, um, as I said, it was, we had combined two apartments in, in New York. This, the buildings are beautiful buildings, like an old, it's hundred years old. And it's a, it's almost like a, a, a an ocean liner. It's so solid, you know, just the the beams and the and the and the, the, the thickness of the walls and the floor. But when you in New York, you have to take it down to the studs, and so you know, then they reframe the walls. And they were as they were getting ready to close up walls in Brooklyn. I, of course, we would obsessively go there every day just to check on the status of stuff. And we, 
just had this idea that we wanted to leave messages in there um, for ourselves that we knew they were hidden there, but also maybe someday someone else will find them and uh, to let someone in the future know that the people who built this home loved it and left their love there and wanted to sort of really just etch our love into the bones of this body of this home. And so we went around into the, I remember it started in the kitchen and we just would write MH plus BH and draw a heart around it. And, you know, just knowing that we knew it was there once the wall was sealed up and it was going to, I think, sort of move through the house. You know, I think the home we lived in just prior to that, I was one morning, it was a Saturday morning, I came out one morning and Brooke was, had the, there were these old casement windows and she was just, she just like, I, I came in just as she sort of like, seemed to be with her hand like dropping something out the window and then closing it. And I said, you just dropped something out the window? And she said, yeah. I said, what was it? And she said, oh, it was just a couple stray hairs, I, you know, had been combing my hair. Maybe a bird will find it and it needs something for its nest. Like in that moment, I just wanted to, build the nest for her and fill it with every piece of love and that, that almost putting that those love notes for ourselves and to someone in the future was a way to make that nest so like I guess I say sort of stitch that love into the, the bones of it it's had such a huge impact on the way that we live what it means to take a minute and look at raw construction and think to carve your love story into the walls and have it engraved into your experience it's really changed the way my husband and i look at our own home you know i see scratches on the wall that were left from our kids or our dog and i don't clean them and have them repainted necessarily anymore because it reminds me of those moments and those things that the house holds now um, it's a happy home, you know, and I think that that story completely encapsulates your relationship with her um, and your guys' love story. And it's funny for me to listen to now your past and what you've been through and what mattered to you and, and how your lives and, and what you do matters to even my own children. You know, we have we have this painting in Oscar's room that you painted and he's his like, favorite thing. Talks about it twice a month. It's this black crow and above it, it says always on the edge of somewhere. It's kind of become this mantra of our family. And I love the beautiful symmetry around it. You know, it's just interesting to me where things start and where they begin. Um, and then the ripple effect of those experiences and how they have and what they have on people. Yeah. You know, it's wonderful to have those layers with you and Nate and Poppy and Oscar now and those layers of experiences. And even as we look around the home, it's like, <laughs> you know, and you, you talk about making the home together. And I, I was laughing too, because I think of like when you guys lived in California and Brooke and I would come out and Brooke was always like, okay, you guys have all your secret sources here for like resale and, and vintage. We need to go there now. Of course, we'd make you drive us around LA. We'd go to places and you guys would come home with a wagon full of stuff or like crate loads being put on a boat sent somewhere else. And <laughs> we, we would like not commit to a thing. 
And that's not true. You'd buy three things and you still have them. And we were obsessed with it. We don't have that whole crate load. That's the problem. We had to learn and we have learned, you know, but it makes me happy. I walk around your house now and there's notes and things that our children have made that are framed in little places. And, um, I don't know. The house is alive in a really beautiful way. Those are the things that mean more than anything. That's, that's an object that has the hand of someone I love upon it and that they've held it and touched it. And just as I think that's what I project onto those things. How would you describe your life and your home in three words? Three words, um, joy, love, and safe, joy, love, and safe. And last, when do you feel the most at home? I think when I'm with Brooke, and that doesn't matter where we are, but, you know, just being, you know, that's that's the security and serenity and that sort of joy. And so I think it's like how that can move with us. Um, I think it's being with, with her because I don't feel rooted unless I'm with her. I sort of, and I think that's part of what I, it's, it's, second place I'd feel most at home is in our home Mm -hmm. you know it's it's learning that that you can have to be able to carry that with you and I think maybe some people come detached from that and that's when I've learned to sort of make myself attached to that she's easy to feel at home with you know that one could you see you guys not being in that home you know, if we win the lottery or something, uh, <laughs> then watch out. Yeah. But I mean, for, you know, we, I hope it would be for good reasons. Yeah. You know? All right. You're the best. Thank you. Hands down, the entire experience working with Brooke and Michael and helping craft their homes has been fantastic. You know, it was a real opportunity for Nate and I to see things not only from their perspective, but understanding their decision process and what they valued. And it's reflected in the space. You walk through the front door and it looks like you could be anywhere in the world. It's filled with light, wall to wall windows, as far as the eye can see with trees and birds, um, beautiful like French 50s furniture and brass accented lighting. You would look down the hallway and you see this gorgeous reclaimed fireplace on this whole wall of mirror. The thing that I'm really proud of that we were able to articulate with the home is it unfolds. You know, you walk into one space and you walk into another and each has its own personality, but every space tells their story. Uh, a really big thank you to Michael Haney for coming, sharing his story, sharing the story that we've carved together, and hopefully helping people see their lives in a different perspective. I love hearing about what home means to people, where it started, and how it's changed how they view home now. I'd love to hear more about the special places in your life that maybe you guys have shared with a loved one. Be sure to post and comment or tag us on Instagram at CA Closets. Ideas of Order is a California Closets podcast. Thanks to the team behind the scenes. This episode is produced by Samantha Sager and Rob Schulte at Surround Podcast Network by Sandow Design Group.